Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. It would be helpful for you all if you would uh, uh, get your bulletins, and we want to look at, at, uh, at a few sentences at the top because that's essential in helping us understand. Um, before I start, though, the, the, there are four pieces. There we, we had a whole bunch of flowers here last night, and they were left over from Catherine April's funeral. And if if you can use these, I I don't know. These may be live ones, but I don't think so. Anyway, if you can use them to put them together, take somebody to flowers or make them feel better or whatever, they're freebies. And, and if you don't take them, we're going to throw them in the trash can anyway. So... It would be nice if you would do that. Um, we're in the book of Daniel, and uh, you need to remember that, that the Bible says that these Old Testament stories were told so that we could learn from them. And so keep that in mind. Now, the first question that we have to ask before we start reading the passage of Scripture is, what was Israel doing in Babylon, why did God put them there? And the reason I put that, state that in that manner is because when you read the 13th chapter of Romans, the first few verses, it specifically says that God is in charge of who runs what country where. He's totally aware, and, and, and he, does, he moves things around because ultimately he's guiding them toward the end that he chooses. Now, so the question was, what is Israel doing in Babylon? Israel, God gave them that land, brought them up out of Egypt and gave them that land that he said flowed with milk and honey. And, and there are parts of it that are absolutely lush and beautiful. There's parts of it that are desert as well. But if you go up in northern Israel around Galilee, across that valley of Jezreel, it's as, it's as fertile a ground as there is in the world. It's highly productive. But Israel, when they were told, when you take this land, you push everybody out of it. Because if you don't, you're apt to be tempted to worship the gods that were made by the hands of men that they acknowledged there in the land. Because there were several different uh, tribes of people there, all of which had a favorite pagan god that they worshipped. And, and so what, what God had said, be careful about, they actually did. They started worshipping gods or images of gods made by human hands. And, and so God said to Israel, now if that's what you really want to do, I'm going to let you do it. And, and here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to allow a country that has only man-made gods that they worship. I'm going to let them conquer you and take you into captivity and live under that kind of rule if that's what you're absolutely committed to doing. And so, in around 586 uh, B.C., why 87 in that area there, uh, a king from Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar 
conquered Jerusalem, carried off uh, the cream of the crop and scattered the, the people everywhere. And he took, among those that he took back to Babylon was Daniel and his friends that you heard about last week. Now, so what God did is he said, if that's what you choose to do, I'm going to let you do it. But surely to goodness, you'll learn the difference between a country ruled by me and a country ruled by people. And so he, he let that happen. And that's why Daniel is in the country. When we get to the city of Babylon, and when we get to the, or Persia is a country, the city is Babylon. When we get to start reading that, you will see that Daniel served under four different kings. He was taken into captivity with others under Nebuchadnezzar. And then he served as a, a leader of the country under Belshazzar. And now the, the king of the country of Persia is a guy named Darius. And, and when he dies, he'll be replaced by uh, a fellow named Cyrus. And Cyrus was the one who ultimately let the Jews go back uh, to their homeland after they had served their sentence. So we're going to read these first nine verses. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and then we'll do some talking and we're going to divide it up according to what you have in your, uh, on your outline. Starting at verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Now, what he had done is he divided his kingdom up into what we would call counties, 120 counties. And then over, uh, and there would be uh, an appointed leader over each of those. And then he divided that 120 up into 40, 40, 40, and over those 40, there would be a person appointed. So there were three people over those 120. He says the satraps were accountable, and three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. In all of those countries, as well as the developing nations today, most of them are thoroughly corrupt. If you were to talk to uh, Eddie and, and, uh, and Patrick kind of off the, off the cuff so it doesn't get back home, they'll tell you that they live in a country that is totally corrupt. The, the, the person who oversees their country has been in, in uh, I don't know what is it, I, maybe he's called the president, I don't, I'm not certain, but he's been there for 30 years. He rigs the elections. He couldn't lose if he tried. And, and he does that because the place is corrupt. You all may not know it. I did a lot of business in Mexico. Mexico is totally corrupt. That's just, and that's the whole system is fraught with that. And so what Darius has done here is set up the thing and tried to pick people that he thought were honest. And among those with a wonderful reputation was Daniel. Now, by the time Darius was king over the Persian Empire, Daniel was probably my age, maybe a little older. He may have been as much as 84, 85 years old at this time because he lived to be somewhere around 90. And now, here's, what, here's how Daniel is described. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He was going to make him the prime minister. And the three then 
administrators would be subject to him. In every, in every organization, there's always jealousy and intrigue. And that's especially true in the political arena where there's a lot of money to be uh, tossed around and positions of prestige and so on and so forth. Uh, it's true uh, in any organization, even churches have it, have to deal with it. And so if you'll notice here, it says, verse uh, 4, at, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Why? Because he was a man of integrity. And you don't find many people with real integrity. Integrity uh, is what uh, an old preacher, Dwight Moody, used to say, men have in the dark. They're, they're that way. They're not trying to impress anybody with it. They're just that genuine. So he goes ahead and says that they, couldn't find, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. In other words, he worked hard. Uh, I've often been asked, Christians in, a, in, in our society, what is the most impressive thing that you can do that non-Christians will see that will lead them to think well of our Lord. I'm convinced that it's kind of simple and it's one thing. It isn't that you go to church or don't go to church. It's what you do on the job. I have seen too many Christians in, on the job who were really just slough-offs. And, and non-Christians watch that. Your testimony is if you work for somebody, you should be the best employee they have. That'll be the strongest testimony you can have as a Christian. Daniel was that kind of a guy. He was, so, he, he was neither lazy or negligent. He worked hard, and he was incorruptible. Now, keep on going. Finally, these men, and there were several of them, We'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless he has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. That's the way you, everybody greeted him. The royal administrators, the perfects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict <clears throat> and enforce <coughs> excuse me, the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, should be thrown to the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, what we have going on here is an interesting situation, I think. Have you ever noticed that people take a lot of delight in seeing a successful person brought down? Now, why? I don't know. I guess it's envy. I guess it's jealousy. I guess there could be a... But, but it, it is always amazing to me at the number of people who actually get a giggle out of seeing someone successful fall. As I say, I, I really don't understand that, but I know it's the truth. I know it's the truth. So, here, this was Daniel's plight. 
He was, uh, and, and there, so they put together what I call on your outline there an evil plan. Now, if you look at that outline really carefully, you'll take it home with you because it's kind of clever. I'm bragging on myself. Now, notice this. It starts off by saying an evil plan, and the second one is a kneeling man, and the third one in the outline is a heavenly band. Hey, you like it? You like it? You like that? You like it? You get that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I stole it because I thought it was cute. <laughs> it really wasn't something that I came. I wish I had it, but I really didn't. Anyway, these fellows evidently envied him a lot and was trying to get rid of him because probably some of them wanted the position that he was in. Uh, I'm guessing at that because the scripture doesn't say. But I've never seen any kind of a government situation, whether it's local, state, or, or federal, where there isn't a lot of intrigue and, and people pulling dirty tricks and so on and so forth. In fact, that's all about we see on TV anymore. That's why I don't, you know, I I'd, I'd, I'd watch a, a, a movie if I can find one because... It's that same old nonsense all the time. And so what they did is they conned the king into doing something that he really didn't know what he was doing when he did it. He knew nothing about the devious plans that they had put together because, keep this in mind, he really loved old Daniel. Maybe Daniel had helped him as a kid growing up. I don't know the background of all of this. All I know is that King Darius loved this old man. And he wouldn't do anything on purpose that would cause him any hurt. He just wouldn't do that. And so, but he was conned by, uh, by some of his advisors into coming up with something because they had already said, you know, he's incorruptible. We can't get him for, for sticky fingers. We can't get him for lying. We can't, we, he's, in, he's, he's too good a person for that. We've got to find some other way to do it. And so they went into the realm of religion. Now, that, that's an interesting way to do things, you know, because there are lots of things that happen in religion that, that you can twist around. Legalism is when you use add rules and regulations to what the Bible says so that you can make yourself, if you can live up to you, you make the rules so you can live up to them better than other people, which makes you uh, appear to be better than they are. And, and, and the Bible specifically says... Don't do that. God isn't a respecter of persons, and neither should we be. We should treat the poorest person here with the same respect and kindness that we do the richest one. In fact, I don't even know who they, who they are. And I don't really want to know because I don't really care. You try to treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Now, that's just something you have to... And that's the danger of a, something we call legalism, where they come up with... with uh, 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 rules that they have added to what the Bible says, and they try to enforce them. In many churches, you'll find out that the Constitution and bylaws have more authority in a church than the Bible does, and they aren't even. And just that's well, that's enough said about that. Now, Babylonian law, and and you need to know this, and and I can't don't have time to make a case for it because really this is a lecture on, on, on rather than just an old-fashioned pulpit-pounding uh, uh, sermon. I like to do that every once in a while too, but, but you need to know some things. And this is really a, a lecture on truth. Now, the, the Babylonian law was very strict, but 
it was put in place, really, to give the king total control. He, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, or Darius, they were all tyrants. Absolute tyrants. And what you need to know is, our country was established so that there would never be tyranny. And you have to be awfully careful because we can create tyranny uh, ourselves, but we can actually vote in tyranny if you're not really careful, if we get away from what the Constitution and bylaw says. Now, the empire called the, the, day we, the Persian Empire today we call Iran. The Persians have always been the richest people on earth because you remember that Nebuchadnezzar built a thing of gold, tons of gold. When Alexander the Great conquered all the, 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 the known world, and he came back to Babylon to live because it was the richest place on the face of the earth. Today, we call that country Iran. And the interesting name about, the interesting term about the name Iran is it is very, it, 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 if you knew linguistics and cared about things like that, it is linguistically related to the term Aryan. Aryan and Iranian are all the same. Aryanism is what Hitler used to say the Jews were less than human so he could try to annihilate them. Arianism. Just kind of keep it because we, we don't have a lot of time to go there, but you need to know that's the, and, 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 and they're a major threat to the world today. And uh, the reasons are different. It's a religious difference, but, but it's there and it, it is a major threat. Now, how do you determine truth and what to do about it? That's a big issue. Even in churches, that's a big issue. Listen to me carefully because the number one flaw in determining truth in the church has been and still is what I'm getting ready to tell you. The evaluating of the truth based on emotion rather than Bible. There's great danger in, in, in going uh, to a religious meeting and coming out with a whole bucket full of goosebumps and saying, man, I felt the presence of the Lord. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You had an emotional experience, and that just doesn't necessarily... You can have emotional experiences in a lot of ways. You can do that uh, maybe a few times a year at a red leg ball game. Most of the time you can't. But anyway, you, you can do that for sure at Kentucky basketball on a routine basis. And uh, <laughs> all right, I'll throw, you, I'll throw you a bone, Gary. And, and occasionally at Ohio State football, okay? <laughs> but not Cleveland. And okay. <laughs> but, and, and, and so the, the great danger in churches, and I've heard people tell me, I felt the presence of the Lord. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. The Word of God is the only thing that we can depend on being true in the religious realm. Your emotions are fickle. They're not trustworthy. Now, we think they are, but they aren't. They aren't. You can go to bed feeling like a million dollars and wake up after a good night's sleep feeling like a dime's worth of dog meat. Your emotional makeup is not dependable. 
Don't depend on your emotions determining truth. This is truth. And it's the only thing you can totally rely on. And don't ever compromise that. Because there are things you cannot compromise. Now, let's get back to why Israel was in trouble. Why God had sentenced them to 70 years of captivity in Babylon. In Babylon... Uh, the king of Babylon had a building there, and in that building were images of a dozen different gods. They had one for the sun, one for the moon, one for sex, one for harvesting, one for sowing. They had gods stuck everywhere for everything, made with human hands. Israel left a country where the living God was their king, and they traded that off. Because they made the same mistake we make too often by allowing the, the, the natural desires of the flesh to determine what they were going to do rather than the, the voice of the living God that was given to them through the prophets of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And they were all almost contemporary. That's why I put on your, on your sheet there the, dates of, uh, the approximate dates of Daniel's life. And I think, as I told you at the outset, these things were written down for us so that we could learn and not make the same mistakes they did because we are told that history repeats itself, and it generally does. Why? Because people make the same stupid mistakes over and over again, over and over again in that cycle of history. And we are, and we're constantly in danger of that have been since day one in our country. So I'm going to, I'm going to put together something for you here just quickly that we'll move through that I want you to pay close attention to. And some of it may rub you a little wrong way, but that's what good preaching and teaching does. It makes you evaluate what you think and think about it in light of what the scripture says. So throw me the first overhead up there and let's look at it. And, and say why it's there. There are only two worldviews when it comes to governments. Only two. Keep that in mind. There are two kinds of governments. There are two kinds of, of worldviews. One is that man lives in what's called a closed universe. Which means that there is a natural cause for every effect. And God is ruled out. It is all centered in man. That's called a closed universe. And what you and I must believe, if we really are Christians, is that God, who created the universe, penetrated that universe, came into it and lived among us as Jesus Christ. The second worldview is there is a God who created mankind, who created everything. Those are the two views. There are only two. One is man did it all, and he's really the God. Like Darius was saying, you're going to have to worship me. Or God is God. And see, in Israel, the two and the living God was their God, and they forfeited that. They voluntarily forfeited that to go to number one and started worshiping images of God that were created by man himself. Now let's go on. And here's the, here, here are a few of the results of whichever one you choose. 
If you choose the first one, that man is in total control, and he, and, and he creates the gods that we worship, as, that, as was true in Babylon, then the Bible and its influence has to decrease. Have you ever seen that happen? If, however, you maintain the commitment that there is a God who created everything, including us, then God's Word has to stay honored because that's the only place where you find that statement. The creation of mankind is a part of the biblical truth of the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Keep on going. Now, under mankind, in, 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 in your philosophy, if you were to take a history of philosophy or Western philosophy, you would find that Marxism, and it is a primary enemy of freedom in the world today and always has been for the last several hundred years. In it, Marx and his associates, Lenin and the others, all agreed that religion, is, to use their term, is the opiate of the people. And since we're in an opiate uh, situation in our country now, we ought to know the danger. That He's really saying that it dumbs people down and shouldn't... And, and, and they, they don't think right. However, when our country was set up, it was set up, and, and there are those who say we were never a Christian nation. Well, we, I'm not here to argue that one way or the other. I can tell you this. The facts are that 50 out of 55 of the people who signed the original documents were, pre, were professing Christian. There were those notably uh, the best known of whom uh, as theists and not practicing Christians like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson neither were they were but they believed in God they were deist or maybe even theist I don't know but both of those people were strong supporters of religion and Christianity in particular both of them were let me tell you why how that's true and you can look all of this is available if you want to go check it out I'm a history major you got to remember that so that's where we're coming from here the greatest preacher during Benjamin Franklin's lifetime and Franklin became wealthy he was he published things he, he was a scientist he did lots of he but he, there was a, a preacher named George Whitfield or Whitefield at that time he wasn't much to look at I know the feeling. He wasn't much to look at. He, but he was so cross-eyed that you didn't know whether he was looking at you or what. I mean, he was, he was just... But when he stood to preach, get this now, because Benjamin Franklin put it in writing. In fact, Benjamin Franklin was so supportive of George Whitefield that he printed his sermons in his paper all the time, free. Because Franklin knew as well as Jefferson, that righteousness, the way we set up our country, righteousness in our, among the citizenry was necessary for the country to succeed. And so righteousness had to be, they said, so we're going to support the church even though we're not active participants. Jefferson, the way he did it, is they were, the Christians were looking for a place to worship in Washington, 
and he allowed them to use the Capitol building. He invited them to have church services here because he knew, as well as the founding fathers, that if we were going to have freedom from tyranny, the Bible and, and, and Christianity in particular had to be a dominant influence in the culture for it to succeed. That's just the way it was. It's, and everything I'm telling you is historically documentable. It is not something I've made up because of some political bias, because I don't have many of those anymore. Now keep on going. In our culture today, at the top of that, when, what the governments that man is promoting is a, is a combination in some form of communism or socialism. Now, communism is something that is accomplished at the point of a gun. Commu socialism is the same philosophy as communism, but it's something that the people choose. It's often referred to, for instance, in places like France and Western Europe as democratic socialism, that the people have actually chosen to go that direction. And I've spent time in many of those countries. Now, here's, and, and in, the, in, in the USA, uh, where is the primary place where, uh, uh, by the way, we're not, a we're not a democracy. I need to make this clear for you. We have never been a democracy. We are a republic, and there's a difference. We are a democratic republic, which means we elect representatives who go and represent us. That's, that, and, and, so, and, and the reason why the people at the top there are gaining more, socialism is gaining in our country, there's some reasons I'll give you here. It's very obvious. They're anti-religion. They're anti-Christianity in particular. And uh, in, in our country, where, where God and, and the recognition of God and the free practice of religion is essential to his success as a nation, that is, is something you have to get firmly fixed in your mind or we can get into a heap of trouble. You can actually, uh, in the U.S., seldom anymore in the schools, and you have to answer this for yourself, why is this true? Why is in the schools you seldom hear the Pledge of Allegiance? You know why? Because of one word. We pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the, re, what is the word? Republic, for which it stands. We are a democratic republic. See, and, and, and so we vote for, and which means we vote for representatives. We don't get to vote on every issue. We vote for representatives who vote for us on various and sundry issues. Okay, let's go ahead. Now, this is what you find out when you look at, uh, under, under uh, man-made stuff. In the Persian Empire, the king had the capacity to give rights or to take them away. In any man-made government, the leader, whether he's voted in, or goes in at the point of a gun, if he gives you certain rights, can take them away from you. Under our system, as it was set up by our founding fathers, 
the rights, and there were three that were endowed by our Creator, that being of, and we'll see in just a minute, these rights were given to us by God. The idea being, if God gave us these rights, no man had the right to take them away. And you see, as it was originally set up, as it originally was set up, our founding fathers set up a system that was opposed to tyranny and slavery both. But later on, because of money and influence, slavery became, became a part of the system. So you can bring in systems that are evil that, because our, our, the original document said this, all men are created So the original documents and original founders, even though some of them were slave owners, knew it was wrong and said so. Keep on going so we can get out here in time for supper. Under, we have today, for the first time, elected socialists. And I don't know of anybody in the country other than maybe ex-presidents and the current presidents any better known than Bernie Sanders. I, I mean, Bernie is everywhere. And, and, and under him, and then there's been a pretty young girl in New York or somewhere that was elected who are, who are openly socialist. And what they're asking for is free college education and free health care. You're going to see that. Now, the problem with that is there isn't any such thing. There's no such thing as free education. That will happen only when teachers are willing to teach for nothing. It's not even possible. Somebody has to pay for it. What they're saying is, we want, and, and the reason you hear, and the people who are calling for this, now Sanders is an exception, but age-wise, the people who are calling this, who are great Bernie Sanders supporters, are probably from 18 to 35 years old, most of them. And you may ask yourself, well, where did they, why did this happen? You know, folks, you and I had a lot to do with it. We don't like to admit it, but we had a lot to do with it. Let me explain to you in a simple way. And you have to answer this, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But how many of you all gave your children an allowance? Most, I did. That's a serious mistake. Because what you're doing is you're, you're teaching your children that they deserve something they haven't earned. And you're not preparing them for life. And we've got a whole generation. Why, why did I do that? One, I didn't know any better. And two, it made it easier. I didn't have to mess with them. Because the alternative, you see, is it's going to take you some time and effort. Here's the way we should have done it. Now, this is an old man looking back over his life and saying, I wish I had, I wish I had it, but I didn't. What I should have done when they're four or five years old, whenever they got to the place where they could make their own bed, clean their own room, when they went to the bathroom, get ready to go to school or whatever, they, after they take a shower or brush their teeth, they clean the place up. And then they go in the kitchen and they help mama clean off the table, wash the dishes. You got a dishwasher and all that kind of nonsense today. But, and then on Friday, you pay them. If they didn't make their bed, if they didn't clean up the bathroom, if they didn't complete their chores, they didn't get paid. What's the difference? 
And, and, you know, and this continues until they're 16. And when they're 16 years old, say, hey, payday's over. Go find you a job. Now, you can't deliver, uh, uh, you can't deliver uh, papers anymore. <laughs> you don't have any papers to deliver like my kids did. But what you can do, you can go to McDonald's. You can, you can find a job. There are all kinds of people out there wanting you to, to do things. In fact, we're in trouble in our country now because there are jobs available that people aren't prepared to do. And it's because we've said, well, go to college and get a, get a degree in you. And we've got college, people with college degrees cleaning, sweeping streets. But a guy who's good with a welding torch can go to New York and make $150,000 a year. I can get by on that if I don't tip too heavy. That's humor there if you didn't miss that, you know. So what we have done, you see, is we have raised a generation of children thinking that they deserve to get something they haven't earned. And who did that? Who caused that? We did. We did. And what we've done is we have, because we weren't willing to take the time that's required to check to see if the beds were made, if the bathroom was cleared, and all that kind of stuff, if, we hadn't, if, we, if we'd have done that, and they had learned, here's the way you prepare for life when you're an adult. They wouldn't be standing around saying, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. They'd say, where's the job? It's, we, we've created a monster that could easily turn into supporting the man-made system up here that eliminates our God. Now, our founding fathers, God bless them, said the only way that you can have rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, if, if they're guaranteed by God. That's the only way. And which of those is more important? It's kind of simple. Because they said we hold these truths to be self-evident, which means that any dummy ought to be able to figure it out. The most important one is life. Liberty doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you're dead. You can't pursue much happiness if you're dead. Not in this life. And what have we done? We have made life in a mother's womb an endangered species. And we have chosen to do that. And we'll be held responsible by the God who creates mankind and gives us and guarantees our liberties. Because if God guarantees them, you have to get rid of God and his influence for a man to take them away. Is that happening? I tell you these things simply because I don't think any one of you would like to live in Babylon. I think you'd kind of like to stay where you are. With the freedom, because I, I keep telling, I've told you this ever since I've been a preacher here. Apart from your salvation, there isn't anything more important than your freedom. Nothing. The number of people who have died for us to be free in the two world wars, the civil war, hundreds of thousands of people What did Daniel do? Daniel said, 
I've served my God for all these years, and he's been faithful, so I'm going to be faithful to him. Folks, there's some things you cannot compromise without getting in serious trouble. And even if you don't compromise, you can get in serious trouble. Ask Daniel. The, when you read through here, when you read th- through the rest of this chapter, you will see that Daniel was, the king hated it. But he went ahead and threw Daniel in the lion's den because the law of his country said you have to keep the decree once it's signed. He kept the decree. He went home, went to bed, but couldn't toss and turn all night. And the next morning he goes to the lion's den and he screams out, Daniel, did the God you serve daily and love so much keep you alive? And there was a voice that came out of there. Because what happened here, you see, that is so neat is that God saw fit, God saw fit to put some super glue, maybe gorilla glue, on the lips of the lions, and Daniel made it through the night. And he hauled him out of there, and he brought him back, and he, and he I'm certain, hugged him and apologized to him, and he made him, you know, and the guy, and you see, these lions... That was kind of interesting because the, 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 the handful of people that came and helped con the king, he then threw in the lion's den and they became lion's supper. They were Women and children, the whole family was thrown in. He was a tyrant. But one of the things that I don't want you to miss, because here's where I'm going to close, is this. See, I not only believe that there is a God that created all that exists. I believe that his word holds it together so that it continues to function. And I believe that he's still active in the affairs of mankind. I still do. And I've got good reason for that. You see, here's the way he said it in verse 21. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. He was still in the den then. He answered and said, My God sent an angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. And they haven't hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, O king. And the king was just giggly about the whole business. But here's what happened. There was a messenger that was sent. And who that was, I don't know. It was just a messenger from God that some way or another had the power to keep the lions under control and tamed. I understand that because I had a similar experience. When I came to town, I came as a pastor of Christ, uh, Central Church of Christ, I was there for four years. And I was sitting in my office studying one day because to get to the office you had to go past the secretary down two steps and then into the office. I was there studying and Joyce Fields was my secretary. Joyce, if you remember you old cutters, over on the corner of Thomas Avenue and 17th Street there used to be a little grocery store in there that was run by Harold Fields, her husband. They eventually left town and went to, I don't know, up north somewhere. Joyce came in the office and and she said, Scott, there's a guy out here who wants to see you. Now, what I assumed when she said that, because she had kind of a strange look on her face, we had an an arrangement with Patsy's restaurant that when people would come down 
52 and looking for a meal, we'd send them to Patsy's. They'd get a bite to eat, and then they'd Patsy send us a bill. That's what I assumed was going on. Well, the guy walked in. I said, well, bring him in. Let's see him. He, she walked down the two steps, took two or three steps toward my desk and stopped. He was probably 10 foot away, 8 or 10 feet in front of me. And I said, how can we help you? And he said, I didn't. I don't need any help. I came to help you. Well, now, you don't get many offers like that in a church. And I said, really? He said, yes. He said, I, I know what God has laid out. I know the plans that God has laid out for you. And he read Scripture. And then he said, I want to pray with you. Okay. You don't have many offers like that either. And he prayed for us and he said and 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 asked God to bless us, turned around and left. Well, Joyce and I were both kind of in awe, because you know, I never had anything happen like that. And I told her, I said, Joyce, go get that guy. I want to see him. And when she got up the steps and out the door, she couldn't he was gone. I don't know where he went. I can tell you this. My life has never been the same since. Never. I don't make a big show out of, out of praying and stuff like that because I don't think it was ever meant to be a public demonstration. I agree with Daniel. You go to your house and get out on your knees. I don't do that at my house. I do it in our chapel. If you see my car here and there's nobody else around and the doors are locked and you can't get in, that's probably where I am. And, and I don't want you in there messing around. And 90% of the time I'm on my face before the Lord. I lean anymore because of my age and because I creak so much. I lean on those two front steps a lot. But once you've had a visitation from God, or at least you think it, that's what it was, you're never the same. You don't care about money. You just care about one thing. What can I do to further God's will for our people? That's all that really matters. If you believe that God created everything that is, including us, and is the giver of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, He is the one who speaks to us singularly and solely through his written word, giving us the Holy Spirit so we can understand it and apply it to our lives so that the life that you and I live can honor him. If we try to do that just through the efforts of the flesh, we'll fail miserably. Now, I'm a strong believer that the church is the bride of Christ. And he uses that term because is there anybody who has any stronger feelings for the opposite sex than when you see that gal walk down that aisle? I can still see that old blonde-headed baby that's been married to me soon be in a few days, 60 years, walk down that aisle. I'm telling you what's the truth. Uh, well, we better leave it there. <laughs>
We just better leave it there. And I hope you understand. And she's been hanging around, well, it'll be 60 years the ninth the next month. And when Jesus caused the Apostle Paul to refer to his church as his bride, he wanted her treated right. He wanted her respected. He wanted her loved. And the church has one single responsibility in our world today. And that's to love one another the way Christ loves us. So that he will be honored and respected. And kept in a prominent position in the country where we live. Amen. Father, dismiss us with a sense of your abiding presence. We pray that you will give us the strength not to compromise the things that you care about, to give us a strong voice in supporting freedom for everybody and freedom for preaching and teaching the very word of God. We thank you for this country, and we pray that you will continue to be the most important influence in the lives of its people. And we pray you'll give us the courage to help bring that to reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.